once again, Link is right-handed because mm. Nintendo is a slave to the woke. Wouldn't the woke move be to make him left-handed? No, actually, because I'm left-handed and I'm based. So, <laughs> Spoilers, I guess, for the opening of Tears of the Kingdom. But Link loses his arm mm-hmm. and it is replaced by the arm of a mysterious figure and this figure's name is Rauru. A name that we've encountered many times before. Of course, it was a town in Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Uh, The name of Of one of the sages. Of course it was. Ocarina of Time, right? The one who had an owl as an avatar. He'd float around as Kepera Gebera. I was so tired uh, Mm -hmm. when I finally got around to playing this game. I'd been in rehearsal for, for this play all week. I was losing my mind uh, from mm-hmm. delirium, but I still had to play. You you had to? I had to. Why? Yeah. I, well, I needed to be part of the conversation, Josh. Got it. Was, okay. Just yeah, to be up on I the was, discourse. I, I yeah. was going to hurt AJ really bad. Got it. I was so going to do injuries to him. I texted Brian saying, Rauru lost his arm jacking Ganondorf too hard, <laughs> which I yep. thought was going to be the end of the joke. Uh-huh. And then Brian responded, Rauru is the sound Ganondorf makes when he busts. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the podcast whose title Ganondorf says when he busts. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. <laughs> I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. All oh, the worst of all possible worlds. <laughs> I'm Ganondorf, aka the worst of all possible Josh's. That was such a journey. <laughs> uh, I hope I can cut that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. We, ha- we have to. We have to you walk can't. through Ganondorf busting. Both of you did terrible Ganondorfs. <laughs> Both I'm just going to say. Both of, both of you can suck my dick. I don't care. Do you think mm. there's any Rule 34 about the movie we're covering today? Oh. Susan Kane? Yeah. Do you think there's any? <laughs> I don't know. Orson I don't know Wells. about Rule 34, but I bet it's on AO3. Let me go take a look. Many consider this to be the greatest film ever made. You'd think that there'd be like the greatest fan fiction ever written about the greatest mm. film ever made. On Archive of Our Own, there are 13 works. Oh. Um... <laughs> Who? Well, Who is it, fucking? You're not going to believe this. The Game Grumps. <laughs> what? Orson Welles is next door to Aaron Hansen and Markiplier. Oh, but not but not Kane, Orson Welles. When Orson Welles shows up at the door of Alfred F. Jones, he isn't sure what to do. And when the two find out their next door neighbors were having very loud sex, they both really don't know what to do. Part one of the thrilling multi-part Jones? tale... That includes Multi. love, loss, and anal sex. Oh, 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 Alfred F. Jones, America from Hitalia. Well, you know, that's a good lead into this. So anyway, don't, yeah. don't change the channel, folks. Um, we are talking about Citizen Kane, which was originally called American because a lot of Hearst's oh. newspapers were called the whatever place American. So Citizen Kane is known primarily as, you know, the not a movie like a benchmark right, right. you'll call yeah, something right. the citizen kane of something else because citizen kane has been since uh, around the 60s especially known as like the greatest movie or the greatest hollywood movie of all time you right. know according to various critics and lists and magazines and all of that sort of thing it's the dark souls of movies i wanted to ask you both and i made sure you guys wrote this down yeah before you watch the movie what yep. is Citizen Kane about? What what came to your mind whenever anyone mentioned Citizen Kane? Citizen Kane is about a guy named Kane 
uh, mm-hmm. who's basically Mr. Burns. He mm-hmm. has a snow globe with a sled from his childhood named Rosebud inside of it. Makes him really sad when the snow globe falls and shatters and also Orson Welles. That's what I've got. I knew newspapers. Mm. I knew uh-huh. Rosebud. And I knew C. Montgomery Burns was based yeah. on this character. Yeah. Okay. That's so funny that both of you did did Mr. Burns. Th- that's that's more specific than I was thinking. Because like, oh, really? yeah, your your tip, my picture of Citizen Kane before I saw the movie, and I saw it in high school. You know, it's, mm. it's been a while, but like, it's just some movie about something. I was thinking maybe it was some kind of espionage movie or something like that, oh, or maybe yeah. a political thriller like uh, All the King's Men. But like, I had I didn't have a clue. And when you look at the posters. For the movie, even in its time, the way that they marketed it was this movie's just really good, guys. Right. The the yeah. slogan, the tagline in the poster is just it's terrific. <laughs> they did because Brian, they did the same thing for Manchurian Candidate, which is the movie that I always conflated Citizen oh. Kane with when I was growing up because of the giant poster of Kane running for political office. And also, yeah. that's a very small oh, part one. of this movie. Like, oh no, yeah, it's yeah, it's, no. it's very minor. Um. I didn't even have that image because like the the like the a poster that they went with is just a painting. It's like a watercolor of Orson Welles standing there. And then like it kind of looks like maybe there's a romance happening somewhere in it. And it just says it's terrific. What I came in low key expecting was something that was just kind of boring and old because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. much of the time when people talk about stuff that is great in, in big mm-hmm. old scare quotes. Yeah. They're talking about shit that's just really inaccessible. And I kind yeah. of just figured that because of the combination of the age of the thing, the styles available at the time, and also just how annoying people tend to get about like things that start out being popular and then develop sort of an, a, a cult around them. Yeah. I just sort of assumed that Citizen Kane was kind of one of those movies where it was like, all right fine like i get it already this mm-hmm. is not that movie at no, all no 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 would you say it's terrific i would <laughs> I, I really would i, I also I would greatly enjoyed this movie and, and um, that's the thing is like citizen kane became this popular thing to say was the best movie of all time about 20 years after it came out because it was kind of countercultural to say right, so right you know ah. it, and we'll get into the the details of this later but like it was such a uh it, w- it was such a hot point. It was such a, a, a deeply controversial movie when it came out because of very specific circumstances. It's not like a, a particularly offensive movie or something that, you know, goes against the government. It just goes against this one guy who was incredibly powerful mm-hmm. and who could basically bury it. And people didn't discover it until it, like it lost money. It, it sold mm-hmm. OK, but it lost money and didn't get a whole lot of attention until the 50s when RKO Pictures, the studio that produced it, was going under. They were one of the first studios to start selling their movies to TV stations. Right. right? Oh. So it's sort of like It's a Wonderful Life, how, you know, like the copyright lapsed and they started showing it not having to pay any money on TV. And then it became a popular movie. Citizen Kane yeah. was just one of these many RKO pictures that got dumped onto TV screens and people saw it a bunch. And then critics started reevaluating it. The Christmas story of its time. Yeah. 24 hour <laughs> Citizen Kane fest. <laughs> what's what's kind of weird, though, is like I'm just imagining watching this movie on like an old tiny television set and like yeah you would certainly be able to pick up what's going on it's Mm -hmm. not as if the movie is inaccessible but there's so many shots that kind of require a bigger screen in order to be legible in terms Mm -hmm. of the composition Mm -hmm. of what's going on you know contrast framing just the very basic like uh techniques of uh, cinematography i'm sure that what people were seizing on were things like the humor and Mm -hmm. the 
really good, 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 good performances in the, in the characters. But there's a lot that you miss if you're not experiencing it as a film. Yeah, I would love to see this on the big screen because the scale of these sets mm-hmm. alone, like just the persp- the way he plays with the perspective would just be so thrilling, I think, on a big screen. It's the ultimate example of a theater guy making a movie. Yeah. Having yeah. full creative control. And, you know, it goes against what like someone might just think as the abstract where a theater guy is like, well, I know this stage, everything's going to be very staid and plain and in one room. No, because theater people are crazy and they want to play with all their toys. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Wells, more than anyone else, knew how to make new toys for himself and went absolutely nuts on this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give a little history on who Orson Wells was as we walk into this. I'm going to keep this pretty short. I mean, he lived a, a very spectacular life and I'm going to keep it limited to what happened before Citizen Kane for the yeah, most part. Yeah, his Wikipedia Wikipedia um, page is the longest Wikipedia page <laughs> I have ever seen. The man did so much. He is insane. I mean, the, the fucking trailer for Citizen Kane has its own Wikipedia page. Yeah. But um, Orson Welles was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He is a Midwestern boy. Hey. Uh, he's from a, hey. an old like Midwestern family. His gr- the, the grandfather or great grandfather that he's named after was a very important lawyer. They had money and then they lost money. <laughs> uh, his dad was like a patent holder for like a certain lamp that went on bicycles, which is mm. very like uh, oh. Elsa Prince kind of territory. Every time I tell somebody, did you know that Betsy DeVos's father was the guy who invented the thing that flips down on your car vanity mirror? So uh, his father was an alcoholic, really, Mm. really struggled with his life, uh, lost a lot of money, lost his job. His parents split up. He moved in with his mom. They were in Chicago. She died when he was nine. His older brother was institutionalized because he had some sort of intellectual disability. Then Orson Welles was like living with his father and then like this other guy, like his dad's roommate. Uh, who was this doctor uh, whose name was Bernstein, interestingly enough, uh, for the content of this movie. His father, like, took him traveling for a while. He was, like, never in one place for very long. When he was 15, his father died, and he inherited quite a bit of money and decided to travel for a bit through Europe on his inheritance. He then goes to Ireland and just walks into a theater and says, Hi, I'm Orson Welles. I'm a Broadway star. (laughs) <laughs> God, you oh, missed yes. the days where you could just bullshit your way into a career. Well, the theater uh, owner was like, I didn't think he was a Broadway star, but the kid had charisma. Yeah, there's just something about this guy. He yeah. like, someone yeah. walks in just swinging his nuts around like that. You're either going to punch him in the face or put him on stage. And the second thing happened. So yeah. he debuted on the Irish stage in October of 1931. He was 16 years old. Wow. And living alone. You know, he he had taken Mr. Bernstein became his 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 legal guardian by his own choice, according to his father's will. And uh. but he but he was he, he wasn't with him. Uh, he was just working professionally in Ireland as a 16 year old. But that's interesting, too, because in this autobiography, we're already seeing certain things. <laughs> some parallels. Yeah. Pulled directly through Citizen Kane. The fact that like, yeah, he came into some money. He was mm-hmm. appointed under a legal guardian. He started mm-hmm. living large at a young age. And Brian and Brian, like you you're going to chronicle like sort of the build up to Kane. But I just want to put like it into the listeners heads already that he debuts on the Irish stage at 16, 10 mm-hmm. years later just 10 years yeah he makes citizen kane so he comes back to the united states he like meets thornton wilder and a bunch of like major theatrical producers and he gets into a new repertory company at 18 
and tours around and does a lot of performances in like Buffalo, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, all that stuff. Uh, then he gets on the radio at age 19. Well, he already <laughs> had that voice. <laughs> yeah. He certainly did. I mean, he does not sound like he's in his 20s in this movie. I mean, can no. you imagine that? That must have been the other thing it was like a 16 year old walks up to and you probably already sounded like that. His father being like this very alcoholic man who, who's not he, he wasn't able to take care of himself. Orson Welles was essentially an adult at this time at a time when a lot of kids were basically adults, you yeah, know, when sure. they were in their teenage years. So he's doing the radio. Radio pays really well, right? You can work a lot. You can do your theater job, do a radio show and make money. This is how Vincent Price worked. He got a Broadway show when he was like 20 and then he was doing soap operas during the day. Wow. So he could go do his Broadway show, do the radio, do his Broadway show. And because it's live, because it's every day, you're doing stuff all the time. The stakes are high in one sense, but also you can just fuck around. And if you do a terrible performance, no one's ever going to see it again. Right. right. You know, it's like gone. So he played Tybalt on Broadway in December of 1934, still at the age of 19. Uh, he became one of the highest paid radio actors at this time. There was this clique of people, including him and Price and all these others, doing New York radio productions on CBS who were getting paid more than anyone except for the big movie stars, right? Mm. The big boys. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who will sometimes even kiss a man on the mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even for them. From there, he gets a job with the WPA. Right. He gets a federal theater contract where he goes up to Harlem with the Negro theater unit and directs and produces Macbeth in 1936 at the age of 21. Oh, my God. But you know what? I feel great. You know, like I feel great. (laughs) This is fine. You know, though, one thing about the WPA and all Mm -hmm. of that is you just can't really understand how pop culture came to be how it was mm-hmm. in the age of mass media without the new deal like all those these people programs. cut their teeth producing tons and tons of theater it's amazing how many actors you'll see from from this time you know burgess meredith right mick on rocky the penguin yeah. and the batman mm-hmm. tv yeah, show yeah, yeah. was a wpa actor he right. was the original van van doren in high tour by maxwell anderson he played it in cleveland ohio, ohio. vivian vance who played ethel mertz in I Love Lucy was a working actor in Albuquerque before she moved to L.A. and started doing TV. She was making a living doing plays up at the Chemo Theater downtown Albuquerque. Well, because the other thing is it's not just about the shows. It's Mm -hmm. about the communities that develop by the people doing the fucking shows. It's almost as if (laughs) funding the arts uh, creates enough economic output to be worth it on market reasons alone, let alone mm-hmm. the the positive gains it makes for society. But I, I don't fucking yeah. know. I'm just some it's guy. Fucking, but it got too communist. And then mm. we had the 1930s Red Scare and it and yeah. it killed a lot of the funding for the theater. So yeah. this Macbeth, uh, he was funding it. He, he, you know, he had the money that was allocated to this production, but he was also funding it with his own money because of all sure. the radio money that he was he was making. Then he did at the age of. He was a bit older now, 22. He did The Cradle Will Rock, right? Yes. With the music by Mark Blitzstein. And this becomes its own, like, fiasco. Like, they lose WPA funding. They can't perform at the theater anymore. They're running afoul of the police anyway because it's, like, a little too left wing. This is the Red Scare stuff that's happening. They get locked out of the theater on opening night. They find another theater that same night, walk the audience 
a number of blocks away to that theater. Everyone walks down Hell the streets yes. to yeah. the premiere of this show. They are not allowed to perform it on the stage, so they don't. They do it in the house, awesome. all around the audience. And if you ever want to see a great dramatization of that production, watch the movie Cradle Will Rock. Yeah, It has a fucking fantastic star-studded cast with the Cusacks, with Tenacious D, with Tim Bill Robbins Murray. Tim Robbins is there. <laughs> and Tim Robbins directs the fucking thing. Yeah. And wrote it too, I think. It's, it's a fantastic movie that you've never heard of. Um, then he does Caesar. And this gets... A lot of butts in seats. So mm. because the WPA thing is starting to dissolve already, um, he starts the Mercury Theater with all these actors that he knows and loves. And they do Caesar, not Julius Caesar. They shorten it to Caesar. Was that on Broadway or that was on Broadway? It was done with a blank stage, except for these huge pillars of light that they would have on the back walls during like big crowd scenes, you know, and everything like that, which is representation of the pillars of light that would be at the Nuremberg rallies and things like that. And it's 1937 and he is playing Julius Caesar. Well, uh, he's depicting Julius Caesar. He plays Brutus, but he's Mm. depicting Julius Caesar as a European fascist, as an Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini figure who gets assassinated. This production had a very successful Broadway run, a wildly successful tour around the country without Orson Welles. This is one of the first shows that Hal Prince saw when he was young. And oh, he said he, like, he basically sexually imprinted on this and he just <laughs> wanted to be Orson Welles sure. after this. Sure, sure. Which is like why uh, I know both of you didn't actually see Phantom of the Opera when it was on Broadway. Right. But. That opening scene of Phantom of the Opera is basically the opening of the opera in okay. Citizen Kane. Okay. It was his opportunity to do Orson Welles. Oh, interesting. And also, is that Caesar where Eustace got the idea to put Trump in? I mean, probably. Caesar? He may have been the first to really modernize Caesar in any way. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Um, there, there's a radio production of it, and you can actually, there is tape. Oh, Lordy, there are tapes of, of <laughs> oh no, of the Julius Caesar Mercury Theater on the Air production. Oh, cool. um, there's also a tape of the rehearsal they do the day before, which is really fun because you can hear them doing this truncated production while also hearing Orson Welles having like bitchy asides. Like, wasn't the music supposed to come in a line earlier? Oh, uh, hell yeah. 22-year-old <laughs> piece of shit. Just- and then the radio is where they really start to to figure out how to play an audience and how to build an audience because then eventually they go from things like Caesar to the War of the Worlds right. where they stage mm. the War of the Worlds as a massive news hoax. You listen to the Adventures in Odyssey that was a takeoff well, I was going to say, th- thankfully, although it was a hoax at first, <laughs> once yeah. the small child got to the diner where everybody was hanging out for the uh-huh. teacher banquet... They yeah. finally realized that it was a hoax. So and uh, one thing you guys may not have known when you were listening to that episode, you know, there's the power outage thing that happens that yeah. happened in a place called Concrete, Washington. The power went out while the broadcast of the War of the Worlds was happening. And so there was an actual panic in this small town of, of 500 people. Wait, there's a town um, called Concrete, Washington? Yeah, it's one of those places where like there was some concrete industry and there were no nearby cities. So there's a lot of places like that. This was a, is, we overplay like exactly how much people were responding to this as though it were real. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely had people fooled. There is a great thing. We will link it in the description. There is a great like internal video that AT&T produced in the 80s or 90s where they talked to these old uh, switchboard operators. These like oh, old cool. women who were do who were on the switchboard the night of the War of the Worlds broadcast and having people call in panicked about this because it was also playing on this fear about some kind of invasion coming from Europe. 
Mm. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the war was not in full swing yet. It wasn't 39 yet, and it certainly wasn't 41. But America was tense and America was waiting for this to happen. This is why Caesar hit. This is why War of the Worlds hits. And RKO, one of the big studios at this time, and not for too much longer, right? It, within the next 20 years, it, it's going to be gone, says, we need this guy. We need this boy genius. We're going to give him a contract that we've never given anyone before. To that point, it's sort of like right now where it's going to go down. We just don't know how. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I feel like some of the people who we are most interested in right now are the ones who are most closely cataloging the reasons that it's about to go mm-hmm. down. So like mm-hmm. that's why Mike White is having such a moment right now. Just to give yeah. one example. If you are if you are diagnosing uh, the causes of the thing, but nobody else is doing anything about it, everybody's going to look at the piece of art and be like, Ah, yes, this is doing the thing, but it's not enough. It's not enough to actually Mm -hmm. affect change just to point something out. And so Wells gets this deal with RKO. It's a three picture contract Mm. and he demands from them that he have complete creative control over all aspects of production. And they say yes. Wild. Wild. (laughs) And he's what, 25? Yeah. (laughs) Suck my dick or something else. So, call call me uh, Alfred Jones from Hetalia (laughs) because Orson Orson Welles needs to suck my fucking dick. Hey there, you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this, head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash worst of all. And you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes. And if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.